Lost in the Long Box is sponsored by Gateway Comics and Toys. Gateway is located at 2368 Plank Road in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Our website is gatewaycomicsandtoys.com where you can find more information about our store, including hours, new releases, and specials for the week. Our social media is under Gateway Comics and Toys as well, so you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. everybody good evening and welcome to lost in the long box the first show for 2021 madman i just found out my headphones go to 11 again so right. um anyway i uh, want to welcome everyone to the show um i have i am your host randall i have you, our co-host here enos say hello hello folks uh, olivia say hello olivia hi say hello you're muted <laughs> you hear me now hello yes hello um and working the boards madman uh, Hello. Tommy has been fired. No, actually, he is just not feeling well, so he won't be here tonight. Um, and also joining us, our special guest, um, all the way from Florida, Margie Cox, friend of mine um, of the show, known her for several years. We meet up at Dragon Con every year, except for um, 2019 because of, you know, baby, which she, she just had a son. Congratulations on there, Margie. Uh, but she is also a... Uh, wonderful cosplayer and her specialty to, to me anyway is Wonder Woman and since we are actually discussing Wonder Woman tonight she is our special guest so everyone please say hello to Margie hello hello Margie Margie welcome to the show hey, I thank you guys for having me um, so this episode is only um, a year and a half late um, <laughs> we uh, as we get towards the end of our uh, preset shows we sit down we have a meeting and we start blocking out all the episodes that we want to do and we were going to have a wonder woman episode followed by a review of wonder woman 84 and then they pushed it back from november to june and they got pushed back from june it's like we're never going to have these episodes so so finally when they released it i'm like okay it's time so uh how was everyone's holiday it was good good it was lovely and uh, Marty, I, since I haven't talked to you in almost two years, um, how's uh, your husband? How's your dogs? How's the son? Well, you know, everybody is doing pretty well. I think that, you know, we've just been in for a bit. You know, we've just kind of, I've gotten a lot of stuff done around my house that I should have gotten done. Like, I feel like that's just kind of been the thing. And I've just been keeping things interesting by rearranging furniture and stuff. So uh, we uh, same thing. We've done a lot of home improvement. We replaced all the deck boards on our deck. We took out the window in a bedroom and put in a, a bay window. And I was asking my wife, why are you doing all these home improvements? She's like, well, we can't go anywhere. I got to spend the money somewhere. I'm like, OK, fair, fair point. So. All right. Um, we're going to be doing a couple of changes to the Lost in the Long Box format for 2021. Um, number one, the show and tell segment is gone. We're not going to be doing that live anymore. We, for now, are just going to put a comic on the Lost in the Long Box Facebook page every week. I have taken this week's and done Wonder Woman number one by George Perez, which will feature heavily in our conversation here. Uh, we're still going to do our news items, but since we are discussing Wonder Woman and we have special guests, I want to skip all that and just go right into the subject, all right? So, before we get started, who can tell me what was the first appearance of Wonder Woman? Sensation all Comics Star number comics. one. Okay, Enos is wrong, so I need a <laughs> buzzer. Uh, Olivia is correct. Um, if Tommy was here, he would be right up there yelling, All-Star Comics number eight. Yes. Okay. Wonder Woman first premiered in All-Star Comics number eight, followed by Sensation Comics number one. Um, interesting that she's one of the few characters in comics who didn't immediately get her own title right off the gate. Although, I guess you could say the same thing about Captain Marvel, Big Red Cheese, because he's premiered in Wiz, right? And not actually Captain Marvel. So. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but anyway, he was created. Oh, oh God, smack Randy. Um, she was created by the American psychologist William Moulton Marston, who I guess was pen named Charles Moulton, um, and artist Henry Peter. Um, here's the part. This is where it kind of starts getting interesting. Wonder Woman's look was inspired by his wife, Elizabeth, who was also a psychologist, and their life partner, Olive Byrne. Um, now, the thing that's interesting about this, you have to remember the time of America when they created him, and they freely admitted that he was married and they had a life partner. Um, tripod marriage, basically. Well, you know, I'm not sure. Christy Marson has said that, she says that that was very... Um, Vegish, yes. She debated it. I, I don't know, so I'm just kind of, you know, I don't know really if there was or not, but I know that Christy Marson was um, upset about the book that they put out about her family, but I, I don't know, you know. Right. Well, there was a biopic a couple years ago, too, about Marston and the creation of Wonder Woman. Um, and that's what it was, is I don't think that they had the permission from the family, but it is, it's an interesting, you know, what Christy said was really interesting. She said, you know, I don't think she was like, I don't think Gramps would have minded. It just wasn't how it happened. But I don't know. Like, this is just I just work here. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it's also interesting that um, Wonder Woman's look, her iconic bracelets were inspired by Olive, who, according to legend, wore those regularly anyway. So when Marston was making a uh, a superhero character, he consulted with his wife, and she said, fine, but you need to make it a woman. Because he wanted a different type of superhero. He wanted one that combated evil and triumph with uh, love and understanding and not fist and firepower. Um, and his wife was like, fine, but you need to make it a woman. So uh, what a lot of people don't understand is um, Wonder Woman came about because Marston was in an interview in uh, October of 1940 with Sammy Perkle. Family Circle magazine, and I didn't know that magazine even went back that far. Um, but he discussed what he said was the unfulfilled potential of the comic book medium. And that's, um, that caught his attention of Max Gaines, who hired him to work for All-American and National, who becomes DC. And that's how Wonder Woman came about. Um, so that, that in itself was interesting. Now, she also has the, the classic origin of... Um, Hang on, i got to scroll back to my notes over here because I've got them all over the place here. The, the, the made from clay and breathed into life by Zeus. She was a present from the gods type of thing, all right? Um, so if you have anything to say, just chime in because there's a whole, whole ton of Wonder Woman here when I uh, was researching this. A lot of stuff that I just didn't realize itself. Um, like, for instance, Moulton was a very strong feminist. And he was actually believed that, and this is revolutionary again for the 1940s, that women were the superior sex and that women should actually be running the world, not men. Um, and I know there's a lot of guys out there rolling their eyes, but if you look at Wonder Woman, a lot of his attitude and his beliefs shows through in Wonder Woman, which is probably why she is such a popular character, because what he basically did was he created a very strong character um, with strong morals, strong physical strength, who had, you know, a good heart, and just showed you that this doesn't have to be a man. In fact, it's better if it's not a man. Yeah, I, you know, Wonder Woman is a very, um, very layered character, and the way that I let, the way that I kind of look at it is William Moulton, Moulton Marston was so ahead of his time. Um, he had this vision for this character, and I think George Perez truly fulfilled that vision. And we're um, actually going to talk about Perez's influence when we get down to all the origins and uh, the, the the history, because, well, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, no worries. I don't want to take your points away about Marston, though, so I'll let you, you know, because I, I do know a few things, but I'll chime in. So. Well, well, no, uh, go ahead and, and talk about what you know. Um, I mean, if you got information, um, the way we work here, if I mention something, jump in and say, oh, yeah, and by the way, did you know? Well, I was actually, um, some of this you guys probably know, which the lasso of truth is meant to be um, truth through coercion. And it's symbolic of the lie detector test. Right, because uh, Marston, in case you guys didn't know, invented the lie detector. Or the methods that gave us the lie detector. 
and there's something really interesting about um, you know a lot of the a lot of the people that were writing comics back then were Jewish, right? And it was you know Superman was kind of this Jewish superhero, and and some people think that there are some um, Jewish origins to Wonder Woman, and I was looking at um, something through a Jewish um, culture, and it's something called. Have you guys ever heard of an ephod? I yes. have not, no. It comes from like the Jewish tradition of what a high priest would wear. Okay. And it, it's really interesting because it has, um, it's a divination tool. And what ends up happening is you have, like it had the 12 tribes of Jude on it. It had a pocket on the inside and there were two identical rocks. Like if you reached in there and you tried to feel it, it would feel the same. But there was like, it was kind of like a yes rock and a no rock. And if it was from God, like if the answer was from God, the the um, rock was supposedly light up. Oh. So, okay. Look at the, you know, I look at the lasso as truth through coercion, but I also look at it as kind of a divination tool about, um, you know, Wonder Woman getting this power through the gods and having that kind of direct channel. So therefore she has to be a, um, arbiter of morality in some ways because she has that kind of channel that goes you know uh you know it goes bilateral you know so it's a very interesting um tool because i think that you know you look at it is just like what is happening between you know truth the person and wonder woman but there's actually something very interesting going on on that you know vertical level as well well and what you were talking about too because of his experiments with the lie detector, Marston and his experiments, he was strongly convinced that women were more honest than men in certain situations and that they worked more effic efficiently. Um, so, and these are things that as a society, we know we have learned, but back then I'm sure people thought he was, you know, bug crazy. Um, well, it's a, it was a revolutionary time to do that. And you see that, you know, Wonder Woman was, you know, the golden age Wonder Woman was, um, she was probably bound and gagged more than Betty Page in the 50s. Uh, well, and All you know what, you know why that is, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. It's, it's because, <laughs> I, I don't I, know. because ironically, he was yeah. also a fan of bondage, which I'm still trying to noodle this one out. Because Marston <laughs> believed that women found strength through bondage. And I'm like, I, I'm really just not following you here, Will. You know? That makes two of us. <laughs> very complicated person. And you know what? I, I think it's a very interesting take on it. But what I think is interesting is to see how Wonder Woman has transformed through the years because she really has been, um, she's kind of the projection of what ideal womanhood is throughout the years. Right. Like you saw it kind of convert from one thing to being, you know, Diana Prince, you know, inside her, you know, which I think Denny O'Neill said that that was a mistake, but you know, her being inside her <laughs> regular clothes and then her coming into that full glory um, under um, George Perez to where she, you know, became as powerful as the other, um, the other male characters. So I, I think it's interesting because, like, if you look at Wonder Woman's outfits and you look at her powers, it, it's really indicative of the idealism of the woman through time or through that, you know, through that lens. Right. And and he even said, um, he's quoted as saying that he believed bondage and, sub and submission were respectable and noble practices. And I'm thinking, damn, Will. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but uh, you see a lot of that in the Golden Age Wonder Woman that she was tied up a lot, um, and then yep. she always breaks free. And I'm wondering, and, I, and I'm guaranteeing you that um, our friend Frederick Wortham over there at Seduction Innocent just had a field day with that. Uh, he well, also he did. Uh, well, also too, um, he pushes the the concept, which will get confirmed later down the road by by even Uncle George has done it that um, the Amazons uh, were, you know, lesbians, if not bi. But when you think about it, if you well, have an island full of women, that's a given. Well, I think it's, it's kind of modeled after the Isle of Lesbos, the, the legend of the Isle of Lesbos. Well, and remember, her battle cry was suffering Sappho, which was a direct relation to, you know, the goddess Sappho's. Absolutely. I mean, there's, it's heavily, heavily, heavily influenced by Greek and Roman mythology. Yeah, Gail Simone had a very interesting comic. I, I wish I could remember the name of it, but um, basically it talks about like the Amazons being in a menless society, like 
and them dealing with the um, them dealing with not being able to have children and like the Amazons kind of some of them flipping out and they actually like whittled little they called them whittle babies because they whittled them out of wood and this was before Diana but she became the fulfillment of that so that they could raise a child um, you know, it, it's really interesting because I, I feel like there is that kind of equality that, you know, you see them bringing upon, you know, the character with, um, you know, everything that she is. But then you also see um, this part of her that really nourishes being a woman and the power of anonymity, which, um, you know, it, it's an interesting take on it. And I thought it was an interesting um, comic that Gail Simone did with that. I wonder if you're referring to um, her run. Now, I, I would have to go through it here. I, I know I have it um, in some of my notable um, stories, but I'm thinking it is The Circle by Gail Simone and Wonder Woman. Yes, I think that's it. Yes, issues 14 to 17 of volume three. Um, which, by the I way, love how they had some little Easter eggs and stuff like that in um, like the first Wonder Woman movie. And I won't get too much into any of the movies because we'll be discussing that later. But you kind of see a little bit of that when they're walking through the streets of London and she freaks out because she's never seen a baby before. Like she's such a strong, imposing, powerful female. But then you get to see little glimpse of her being just this very caring, nourishing person. And she's never had experiences like that. I thought that was just so adorable, her reaction to it. Because she's <laughs> like, oh, that's so cute because she she probably hasn't seen one. You know, she's the last one, so she hasn't really seen one. So she's probably only heard about it. And you just think about like someone who's never seen a baby and they're like, oh, this mystical thing. Is <laughs> well, see, now you say that. And but unfortunately, I keep thinking of um, number six from Balstar Galactica, where she's never seen one. She's like so fragile. And then you're like, oh, God, I know where this is going. But <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> oh. but we, we won't talk about that. Um, so, yes. Um, <coughs> Sorry, guys. I caught a cold over the Christmas holiday, and I'm still fighting off the the last vestiges of the cough. You know how everything else goes away, and then you have that cough that just hangs there forever? Well, that's where yeah. I'm at. Um, real quick, circling back to kind of like when we were talking about the cultural influences and her as a worldly person, I think that's also one of the most important things about Wonder Woman as a character, especially in this modern age, as Gal Gadot has like taken over her image and honestly, most of the comic books, as you have all the Wonder Woman 84 covers and everything coming out on all the new books, she's represented by an, uh, like a wonderful Middle Eastern actress. And she's not just this, you know, American, all-American female and everything. Her character has been influenced over the ages by different aspects of Middle Eastern culture. And that's, again, to me, one of the most important parts about her character and Honestly, one of the things I love about her the most, because she's not just this like strong, physically strong person. She represents so much of like what makes womanhood across the world so great. I um, I at first I was not a fan of Gal Gadot, but then she totally blew me away in the first movie, and I was like, <laughs> no, I'm on board. I'm totally on board. But I think the really interesting thing is like if you actually like look at her life, like. She's really badass. Like, yeah. You're, you're, you're really, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't know if I should say that though. My apologies. You're right. You're, you're right. Sorry. I'm we're uh, we're PG-13. We're allowed one f bomb. Okay. After that, I have to start <laughs> finding you. I have a son, so I'm trying not to. <laughs> bad habit. I know that's going to be like one of his words. I'm like, no, no, I can't. I can't do that. But you know, she's a really interesting um, person, and if you just like kind of look at her life, I mean, it's. Was she, she in the military? Yeah, Israeli she's army. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In Israel, you have to be for at least two years. You have to be in the military. Okay. So you know, she learned a lot of you know uh, Israeli martial arts, and then she wanted to be a. Um, before the movie, she was going to be a um, basically like a UN civil rights lawyer. Mm -hmm. So you know, I mean, she's very in line with the character, and she is a mother. I mean, she's a very interesting person for it. Well. That here's and here's why she has lived Diana's life, so she knows strength and compassion. So when she's cast as a woman, she's like, you know, she's being told, well, she has love in her heart for everybody, and she represents the peace of the world. But she's not afraid to also slap somebody if it has to be. And she's like, oh, I got this. <laughs> you know, <'cause laughs> yeah. th th that's been my yeah. life. And, and, 
And she does that very well because one of the things that stood out about her when she made her appearance in Batman versus Superman is like you knew who she was and you knew why she was there, but you was just like, yeah, I can't wait until we really see her in action. And I think she was one of the saving graces of that film, of course, until you see the director's cut where everything makes sense. Right. But one of the things that you all have been speaking about that I'm totally in agreement with is that, that the one thing that has endured about uh, endured with Wonder Woman over the years from the time I was exposed to her in 73 with the Super Friends cartoon up until right now is that Wonder Woman is indeed uh, an agent of compassion, but at the same time, she will knock your head off if, you, <laughs> if, if you're not doing what you're supposed to. It's kind of like your mother. So, oh, my mother would do more than knock your head off, boy, but we ain't going oh, there. I'm going to do mine, mine too, too. But, but, but one of the things, and, and I think one of the things, and I'm, I don't want to be jumping the gun, that was one of the things that I think that enabled Shannon Farnan, who was the voice of Wonder Woman, um, for the majority of the Super Friends run, why she was so vital to the character's um, popularity and growth during that period was that when she spoke, you felt that compassion. And you saw that even though the, the animation wasn't all that great, but definitely you definitely got, got that vibe from, from Wonder Woman. And then when Linda, Linda Carter came along, then you really got it full force. I ain't gonna say anything about Kathy Crosby. I'm gonna leave that one alone. Well, but, uh, I would even go but, so far as to add Susan Eisenberg to that role as well, oh, to that yeah, list as well. Definitely, definitely. And and I was about to say that. Right? See, this is why you and I, great minds, think alike. And I was about to, and I was about to say, and with Susan Eisenberg's vocal portrayal of Wonder Woman, you she really hit the nail in the coffin. And then Rosario Dawson, and before her. Terry Russell did it in the uh, Wonder Woman standout direct DVD film. You felt that in everything. Because one of my favorite parts of Justice League War was when Wonder Woman ate ice cream with a little girl for the first time. Yeah, it was good. And and I thought that was really cool because that not only showed the compassion, but it brought out the kid in her as well because she was enjoying that ice cream with that little girl and, and it made that little girl happy that she ate ice cream with her. Right. So that was what I thought was one of the coolest aspects of Wonder Woman. So let's talk about how her origins changed throughout the years. So through the Golden Age, of course, it is the whole scenario where, and I, when I was reading this, I was thinking, wow, this was like the Linda Carter pilot to a T. Um, she's on Paradise Island with all the Amazon women. Um, plane crashes. Steve Trevor lands there. There's a contest to find out who's going to take him back to man's world. Um, so there's a contest being held. She wants to participate, and Queen Apollo says, no, you can't. You are my daughter. It is forbidden, even though she knows, well, I'm the best candidate to do it because I'm better than all these smucks. Um, so she disguises herself, enters the competition, wins, reveals her mask. And I'm thinking, man, this is like the exact scenario um, that, of the TV show, and that's because they took it pretty much panel for panel from the um, the book or from All-Star 8. Um, now, right. it was a thing <coughs> that's kind of really... Um, just annoying about the Wonder Woman of the Golden Age. We've established that she is a strong world leader. Um, she's probably just as powerful as Superman. I mean, they've established that pretty much early on. Um, and yet, what is she doing in the Justice Society? She's a secretary. Uh, yeah. They they immediately re- uh, you know reduce her to the role of you know take the notes. Yeah, it's the gold the the, the fallacy of the Golden Age, I guess. You know, I mean, I, th- I think we even talked about it uh, uh, our, in our last episode about the Justice League cartoon, how they went back to that world where it's a golden age world with the green guardsmen and so forth. And all the women are like, hey, they, all the men are talking, we're, all the women are going in the kitchen to make tea or whatever. Right. You know, and it's, it's kind of the, the flaw of the golden age, <laughs> you know. Well, that, and it even has the, um, the scenario that uh, in the golden age is where we first get Diana as a member of the military because she takes Steve back to man's world and has to have a job. So she ends up as, you know, a secretary uh, in the armed services. I'm sorry. I can't remember what branch Steve was in. Might've been army. Army. Yeah. I want to say it was a Navy because she was yeoman prince. But also too, um, as most other comics in the golden age, her primary nemesis was the Nazis. 
Um, you know, let's face it. If you were a comic book in the 1940s, every issue you were fighting the the, the axis. Yeah, the real supervillains. Right. <laughs> yep. But I didn't realize that no more real than that. Some of her uh, biggest enemies, like Doctor Psycho and Achita, apparently started during the Golden Age. Um, so, Golden Age, um, she basically suffered the same fate as most of the other superheroes, and then the Silver Age, they start changing her origin around, and now it shows that she is the recipient of the gods' blessings from like Aphrodite, you know, Apollo, Hermes, and all of them. Um, so we get the the clay, and then now suddenly we get in the Silver Age. She's a daughter of the of the Amazons, and she's been given these presents by by the gods. Um, and that is also a really great story, and I I can't remember it right now. Um, I'd have to find the issues where I believe it's a four parter where it shows Hippolyta praying for the daughter, but yet the Amazon warriors on the outside are like. You shouldn't be bringing a child into this environment. We haven't had one in generations. What is she doing? Type of thing. Um, I'm gonna have to find that one now. It's gonna bug me to no end. Which one you're talking about? Um, you know, I think it's really the concept of bringing a child into like that kind of warrior mentality. Um, you know, I feel like it's it's kind of interesting that they want to kind of keep part of her innocence intact in a way. Um, and if you notice, like, I feel like Diana, just because she hasn't had that same real life, it, you know, she wasn't around during like all the other wars that she doesn't have quite the bias against men and man's world that the rest of the Amazons have. Right. So you know. I do. The Silver Age also brought us a, a huge change to the Wonder Woman character that I am really curious to hear Marge's take on um, around issue 179 and uh, 1969. They decide to go to this new route where she has to give up her powers to stay in man's world and, and be with Steve. Because that was another big drawback is she's supposed to be the strong, independent woman who um, can carry her own. But they always have her, you know, um, pining over Steve Trevor. So, OK, she stays in man's world. She gives up her powers and she gets the Japanese martial arts mentor, Ai Ching. And they basically make her an M appeal. I think that what they were trying to say is like, as a woman, you can't have everything and it's not fair. All of that said, I think it was a mistake to do that with the character. <laughs> and I think even the person that did it, which was Denny O'Neill, thought it was a mistake. Right. Um, looking back on it. And, you know, I think that they might have been, uh, you know, I think the really interesting thing about Wonder Woman coming from the place that she has and she doesn't... Um, I feel like Wonder Woman is kind of like Black Panther in the way that they are what they are without any social constructs coming into it about what a woman is. Right. You know, so she kind of makes her own rules. And I think that um, during the Silver Age, like I think that that is a um, probably more a commentary on the times that we were having rather than like Wonder Woman and, you know, what Amazons would do in this world, I well, think. They were trying to capitalize on the success of the Avengers, um, the, the TV show, not the Marvel guys, just for you people listening out there. <laughs> but here's the part that's really interesting, and I did not know this previously. Do we know who is actually considered responsible for them putting Wonder Woman back the way she is and giving her powers back? Was it Julius Schwartz? No, it's Gloria Steinem. Oh. Stein, I'm getting ready to say okay. it wasn't him. The, the feminist and the, the founder of, of Miss Magazine. The icon for feminist from Ms. Magazine. Well, she was upset that they had basically um, reduced her from the most powerful female superhero and depowered her into no, another boyfriend-obsessed damsel in distress. I'm quoting directly from Wikipedia. Ah, sorry. Uh -huh. um, but, I, and I did not know this, and now I want to go find a copy of it. The premiere issue of Miss in 1972 has Wonder Woman on the cover. Yeah, it's got Wonder Woman for president on it, and coincidentally, that was my introduction to Wonder Woman. That magazine cover. Right. And I was like, wow, this is cool. And then, like, six months later, here comes the super friend. Well, not only uh, was she upset about that, but apparently the science fiction author Samuel Delaney was writing a Wonder Woman story for Miss Magazine. 
Um, and it was just after Roe versus Wade, and it was going to be about an abortion clinic and her protecting it. But Gloria Steinem was seriously upset about her powers being gone and being out of costume, and so the story was never printed. But as a result of that, DC heard her, and they said, okay, let's put her back in a costume because the, the, the female um, audience that we're trying to uh, bring in and, and attract has told us they don't like it. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's so hard to imagine Wonder Woman without her iconic costume and everything. Like, regardless of whether or not she had her powers, how is she Wonder Woman if she's just functioning as a civilian in the world? Like, yes, she still has her compassion. Yes, she still has her otherworldly knowledge and cultural experiences and everything. But what can you make that's so inherently is interesting about that generic character, I'll say, or generic civilian or anything that you can carry on through decades? That would have been hard to pull off. And they've DC's proven it it doesn't work even just a couple of years ago with Grayson. Remember when they did that where Dick Grayson is oh, no longer Robin and he's like the the world's secret operative and readership dropped. Mm-hmm. I tried very much to like that book because it was good to see Dick Grayson in a different capacity other than Nightwing, but it the more you read it, even though your boy wrote it. It still just wasn't the same feel. You you just was ready for him to put that mask on, break out the extra mistakes and kick butt. And it just wasn't the same. Right. So then they go ahead, they give her back her powers, they put her back in a costume, and then they decided to get stupid again. They put her into the Justice League. Okay, great. Works fantastic. And then they took her book um, when she came back as Wonder Woman, and they put it in World War II. Because the TV show with Linda Carter was set in World War II. <laughs> so how confusing was that if you're buying Wonder Woman and Justice League on the stand and you have Wonder Woman in the modern day and Justice League and World War II in her own book? Oh, and I think that yeah. was I think that's a lot of the issue sometimes with comics is that um you get this continuity that gets to be more and more um you have to know more and more to be able to follow it. And that's why they have to keep resetting the universes all the time and kind of um, bringing the characters in. I, I do feel that comics and that kind of literature is downstream from culture. So what we're dealing with over here, it kind of flows into it. And you're like, oh, this is this is what Batman is like or this is what Wonder Woman is like. Um, you know, and I, I think that I think that a lot of. I will say that like during that time, I think that people didn't have as many struggles. Like, I feel like that was kind of like a a golden age in some ways, but people didn't have quite as many or, you know, struggles. So I think that they were trying to put her back into a place where there was more conflict possibly. I don't know. Um, You know, it, it was a, it was a weird move. Hard to follow. Well, well, and like, interestingly enough, um, talking about all the cultural influences and everything that affects that. I mean, Diana still remained Diana throughout the years until yesterday. And then future state happened. And now there's a new wonder woman. And (laughs) there's a lot to unpack there, but all of this aside, you know, talking about how the character is going to continue over the years and how they're going to still continue to make her interesting, like by basing, her stories and everything in the comics off of what's happening in the world. Well, now all of a sudden, when you have a lot of like social and feminist conflicts and arguments going on in the world right now, they have another Wonder Woman they've introduced. Um, yeah, so, I won't get into that because I read the first issue. I got a lot of feelings, but so by the way, guys, it's in, very interesting that it happened. In case now. you haven't <laughs> been to your local comic shop today, um, Dark Knight's Death Metal 7 dropped today, um, and it has that iconic cover of Golden Age Wonder Woman and Modern Day Wonder Woman facing off. Um, and then the Generation stuff also kicked into full gear today as well. Um, I haven't read Death Metal 7, but I'm assuming there's a major shakeup in the DC Universe because they've even said that two things are actually coming out. But one of them is the, the future state that we're getting, and another one they haven't told us about yet. Um, you can just tell that there's a lot of shakeup going on over there. I don't really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of like, I feel like we're seeing just, it, it's fans, we're just looking at stuff and we're like, oh, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what this means. It means something. I'm not sure. <laughs> right. Um, um, I will say Death Metal 7 is absolutely a key issue. If you can still get your hands on it, 
Okay, well, and now, that's all I'll say about it. Now, see, this sucks because I was um, just in your store tonight and I didn't pick one up. Will you throw me one in my box tomorrow, please? Yeah, I'll get you covered. We should still have some of that. Oh, you do. You had a too. whole rack of them and I left it there. <laughs> me. Uh, I would, too, in fact, I will just come by tomorrow because I got three of the future states, but there was a generation one that was supposed to come out today, too, and I didn't see that on the shelf. Did it not come in? It it was on the wall unless we sold out, but I don't think we did, but I'll check on that for you. All right. Well, I'll just come by tomorrow and get that Death Metal 7. Anywho, um, <laughs> with Wonder Woman being returned to her powers in the 70s, um, DC gets a new president, Jeanette Kahn, who decides she wants to do some changing to Wonder Woman because um, she realizes the title's not selling and we need to get some interest in it. So she hires artist Milton Glasser, who also is a guy who designs that DC bullet in the corner that they started using in the late 70s. Um, and he redesigns her chest logo, which up until this point had been an eagle. Okay. Um, however, the problem is the book still didn't sell. And so it ended up being canceled with issue like 329 in February of 86. So the sales just kept on going down. Um, but <clears throat> the reason I bring that up is because, Enos, Olivia, are you ready to give away something? Oh, yeah. Let's go ahead and give away a prize, shall we? So um, if you go to our Lost in a Longbox Facebook page, you will see that I have put the cover of Identity Crisis 4 out there, which is a beautiful cover and a great story. And another actually great warning story because you see the power of her in this when she goes to jail to talk to, God, I can't remember who it is, and she has a lasso in her hand, and you can see the guy in the jail says, like, oh, I'm humped. <laughs> you know, she, she's going to get the truth out of me where I want to or not. But when I introduced Margie, I told you she is a phenomenal cosplayer, um, especially when it comes to Wonder Woman. She has recreated the cover of Wonder Woman 4. Uh, Wonder, uh, Margie, who is the, uh, the photographer on that again? Um, that is cosmographer Las Vegas. Okay. He's a phenomenal guy. Um, it's Scott, and um, that's what he goes through, goes by for the cosplay photography. But he is really interesting because I think that he is the most organized person I've ever worked with. He has he builds the stage setup so that he can get the lighting right and everything. So I literally just walked in. This was the second photo we took. Okay. Um, so she does a wonderful recreation of Identity Crisis Four. She has it on the wall there behind her. Um, Lost in a long box. You have to zoom in on that. That's such a great photo, great, uh, great poster. We're going to be giving you giving away one of these guys, um, and you're going to have to answer a trivia question. I just mentioned that Wonder Woman's logo got changed from an eagle to the now stacked W's that we recognize. The trivia question to win this poster is: What was the issue where that premiered? I'll take one of two possible answers. There are two answers, one that I actually consider to be the first appearance, but I will take one of the two. Email it to lostinalongbox at gmail.com. You have until midnight of Friday, the 29th of January to answer it. Um, I do have to mention that cast and crew of FXBG Public Radio and Lost in Longbox are not eligible to win. Sorry, guys. Um, however, if you have won something previously, you can also win. And this includes my local guys out there who listen all the time that looking at you, um, Robert C., Tom M., Mark W., James H., you guys can also win this one. Um, Lost in Longbox at gmail.com. When did we first see the stacked W's of Wonder Woman's chest logo? I'm looking for one of two two issues that it premiered in. Moving right along. So, Wonder Woman gets cut. And then here comes the moment that you've been waiting for, Margie. DC decides, well, you know, all of our books just aren't selling. We need to do something. So enter Warren Wolfman and George Perez in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah. And on Crisis on Infinite Earths, they established that... All the Wonder Woman stories that we had been reading and see Trevor all took place on Earth 2. So they basically retcon, wipe out Earth 1, Wonder Woman. Uh, they do it beautifully now. You know, don't get me wrong. It's fantastic. But as a result of that, they relaunch it with a new number one, which I also have this on our Facebook page today as our show and tell by George Perez, Greg Potter and Len Wine. Um, they did it. George uh, obviously did the art and he had the plot for it, whereas... Len and Greg did the basically the scripting for it. Um, guys, 
I know there's a lot of you out there who know Wonder Woman, the current incarnation from the Gal Gadot movies and New 52 and Rebirth, but the vision that we have of Wonder Woman, the one that a lot of people identify with, starts with that George Perez series. Everybody went quiet. Really? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you go right ahead. Go right ahead. Well, George told me a really interesting story about Wonder Woman um, and, and being right, you know, writing that and talking to Jeanette Kahn. He said that no, no writer or artist wanted to touch the, actually touch the property because it had been failing. They didn't know what to do with the character. And, um, you know, he was talking about how um, he wanted to, you know, <clears throat> give her, you know, the full glory of what, you know, he thought that she should be. And, um, you know, he said that Jeanette Kahn was a driving force in that. And also that was the reason that the universes had so much cohesion back then is because, and something that he said, you know, a few years ago, which is like, there's no Jeanette Kahn at DC anymore. Right. But, you know, it, a lot of that was Jeanette Kahn having that continuity and being that kind of watchdog for DC to, you know, have one driving vision. And then the other part of that is George Perez just basing, he knows strong women. So he approached uh, Diana is a very um, real person, a strong woman with needs and, you know, um, motivations, but she also had these amazing powers. So I, I think the really interesting thing is like, you know, George brought all of these powers to Wonder Woman, but he brought a different level of humanity to her as well. Right. Um, the thing that I really love about George's run on that. Uh, and I think, uh, by the way, guys, DC is now publishing the George Perez Wonder Woman's in trade paperback. Volume five, I think, came out today. Um, so you can probably still find volumes one through four. In fact, one of the best storylines um, of Wonder Woman is his initial arc issues one through seven um, of his series, which I think was, um, what was, what's the actual name? Gods and Mortals is what they refer to it as. Um, but one of the things that I really love about George's run is that, number one, we still have the Amazons in our island, but now we actually get a name for it. It becomes Themyscira and the whole Paradise Island thing, because that never worked for me. I always hated the name of Paradise Island, you know. Um, but the other thing that he really started pushing, which will become a strong theme of Wonder Woman moving forward, is that of World Ambassador. Yeah. Um, that she's always going to try to resolve it peacefully first. Yeah, I and I think that that was a really interesting um, dynamic that he brought in, which was, you know, Diana is a diplomat um, because a, a warrior's true goal should always be peace. Right. And I think that, you know, he brought, um, you know, it's interesting because she was a warrior before, um, and I think that they didn't really – you know, I, they didn't bring that in quite as much, but I think that George really fleshed that out about, you know, her culture and also like what she felt her purpose was in man's world. You know, because she was here before and I, I think that, you know, it was a big kind of statement, but there was nothing very, um, it was kind of a more of, what am I trying to think? A more um, kind of uh harder to harder to pin down type of motivation but you know here she has a um goal she's a diplomat and she's also um you know she is a representative in in some sense so i thought that was kind of interesting right well and i i also love the fact that um she's she was so quick to um just if she saw something going wrong she would step in she's like okay we need to talk about this because you guys are just screwing all up y years ago dan didito when he was with dc summed this up perfectly when he referred to the holy trinity he said superman was the first responder batman was the cop he was detective and wonder woman was the ambassador you know it's like she was the one who went in first if you know things were escalating before they sent in the big gun of course being superman and it was kind of along the lines of, I can handle this, Clark, so just let me do what I do first, you know? Where Superman's like, well, now I'm going to go punch something, <laughs> you know? You know, I think it's interesting that Diana was, you know, in, inside those type of issues, she was actually more aware of the optics of what the Justice League was doing and how it was, how other people were seeing it. Um, and that that is her, I mean, she is the arbiter of truth in the Justice League. Like, 
when there's a big moral decision, like Wonder Woman kind of decides what's right. You know, I don't want to jump the gun and talk about the decisions that she's made because I think it feeds into, you know, the, the movie too. But when there is a morally, like Wonder Woman is the most interesting when she's in a moral gray area. Right. Because she she sorts it out in a way that I think a lot of people struggle with. Um, you know, she, she senses it and she's like, this is what has to be done. And I think that that is a very, that's something that the rest of the justice league, when she's done well, kind of, um, you know, they recognize that she is the arbiter of the morality of the situation usually. Well, there's a classic moment of that in the first movie where Mm -hmm. she knows that, you guys are fighting um, because you're being controlled by Ares. Um, and as much as I don't want to do it, um, whether it be mortal or God, I'm going to have to end this. And she knows that the only way to end this now is to kill Ares. Um, and she doesn't want to do it. Um, but that moment when she kills who she, you know kills Ares and thinks that she's done and, and this is it and the war should end, you can see that she's just heartbroken that it didn't stop anything. I mean, I personally, who cried when she's standing there and she realizes that killing Ares didn't stop the war. I mean, and you see her physically, her heart, you see it break on the screen. And that's what Wonder Woman should be. She should be like, why did this not work? I sacrificed a piece of myself to save you, and it didn't work. One of the best quotes by her that like kind of encompasses everything is, don't kill if you can wound, don't wound if you can subdue, don't subdue if you can pacify, and don't raise a hand at all until you've extended it. She is very much brought up in a world of warriors and everything, but also peace and peace before anything else. And especially in the movies, I mean, that's something that you see her struggle with so much is just understanding how there can be so much like discord and everything in the world when all she's seen is peace. Right. And it's just, and again, uh, a lot of that is direct influenced by George. And I think a lot of what George did paved the way for writers like Gail Simone to say, okay, someone's finally got this right. Let's keep going with it. Um, To the point that I think any writer who takes on Wonder Woman now always refers back to how did George do it? You know, what would George's Wonder Woman do? He definitely laid the groundwork. You know, Wonder Woman has always had a solid following, but after the and post-crisis, when George Perez took over, he, if you really want to be honest about it, he did what John Byrne did with Superman, and um, what I can't do, and what Daniel O'Neill did with Batman. George Perez, as far as Wonder Woman goes, set the standard for what she is. And from that point on, it's just like you said, it's like, what is WWGP? Excuse me. Uh, yeah, w, WWGP D, um, D. What would George Perez do when it comes to um, dealing with anything with Wonder Woman? Because he laid the groundwork for everything to follow. And what a great groundwork he laid. Right. Absolutely. And and we've actually touched on all the the different role models that she fulfills. We've hit on the fact that she's a sex icon. She's um, fits the role model of, of a pacifist. She fits the role model of a warrior and, you know, and a strong warrior. And also she has spoken out to the LGBT community, you know? Because um, remember, I think even George, in one of his stories in his very early run, establishes the fact that, hey, it was an island of women. <laughs> you know, it's... We weren't uh, we weren't going to shy away from finding comfort in each other's arms if we wanted to. Um, but let's we got like ten minutes left. I want to touch on someone's best stories or favorite stories of Wonder Woman. And Margie, you are our guest of honor. So, what is one of your favorite Wonder Woman stories? You know, um, I have to say, I think you know, Gods and Mortals. Probably, yes. you know that that was the first one that I read. Like, I didn't start back in the silver. I mean, I, I went back and I kind of retconned some of that just because I wanted to see what it was like. But Gods and Mortals, um, you know, George Perez's, you know, first stories where you got to see Wonder Woman in all of her glory and you understood what she stood for. And it was a cohesive message. Right. I think that that is what impacted me the most. And like, you know, I it really spoke to me as, um, you know, I, I very much value peace. But... You know, I, I think that um, I understood Wonder Woman in a different way, though. 
I, I was raised by people who um, survived the Japanese occupation of the Philippines. Oh, I did not know yeah. that. Well, yeah, you know, and it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, people from like those kind of societies, and I think, you know, if, if you think about Wonder Woman too, like um, those are more violent places. Even in the best of times, they're kind of more violent. But, you know, I was talking to my um, grandmother one time and, um, you know, I was telling her because I learned about dialing 911 at school, like if someone breaks in and she was like, no, in the, in the Philippines, we don't have this. And then she um, showed me how to use a machete. <laughs> this is what we and have. Then she said, and when you, when you do this, they're going to go like this. And then she said, you know, you hit them in the femoral artery. And I was like, okay. So it, it's a different kind of culture. <laughs> I know that's weird. But, you know, I, I feel like <laughs> my big thing is like you, you can want peace but still be very um, in a very warrior type. Disillusioned life. by it based on the yeah. environment you're in. Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest thing is like, those are very, um, Wonder Woman is paradoxical in the fact that she stands for a lot of different things and she does it well. Like you would think that these things don't mix, but they do. Absolutely. And she got all of her powers, her glory, you know, with George Perez, even though, I mean, I, I appreciated her before, but. Well, and a lot of what we saw in the first movie is taken directly out of that, uh, story arc because it deals with Ares and it deals with him controlling man, you know, man's world. And that's what's going on in that, in that arc, you know, gods and mortals. It's the same type of thing. She has come to man's world because Ares is wrecking havoc and it's up to the Amazons because they're like, he's like, they're charged. We're, we're responsible for him. Well, you know, that in like, she doesn't necessarily like her tool isn't her warriorness. It's, it's actually her ability to, Find a creative um, and peaceful. Like I mean, she she realized that she couldn't fight this just with fighting it. Right. You know, she she had to use um, she had to use her intellect and in, in doing that. So I feel like it was a much more complex idea of what Wonder Woman is, and you know, it, that for me is my favorite one just because it was the first one that I read. So Olivia um, and Enos, favorite Wonder Woman story. I wouldn't say I have a favorite, but in contrast to like what we've talked about, what they're doing with her character in death metal, that is the, it's almost like what if for Marvel, like what if Wonder Woman snapped and was a villain of sorts? Um, totally different dynamic and I could go off into it again for a very, very long time. But I think that's so interesting, like growing up watching the Linda Carter show and reading all the Wonder Woman books and everything and understanding that she's just this strong like empowering woman and then you start to read death metal and it's like whoa well and you know she is this <laughs> right very dangerous critical character well and that uh what they did there um is they they stole a little bit from injustice gods among us because uh -huh. in gods if you guys haven't read it it's such a great story basically superman finally decides i'm i'm tired of this you know i'm not going to be the good guy anymore if if you're an evil man there's no more going to jail it's it's over you know bye bye and the wonder woman in that series just kind of looks at him and goes it's about time and you're just like whoa <laughs> <laughs> um have you have, if you have not read injustice um, year one, Gods Among Us, oh, that is so great. I recommend just picking that up. At least pick up book one. It's fantastic. In fact, I'm going to be rereading that soon myself. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, one of the ones that I really like, which we were talking about earlier, um, was the Gail Simone story, The Circle, from volume three of the run from issues 14 through 17. And that is the one where in each of the storylines, we have the prologue being told as a backstory where um, Queen Hippolyta was praying for a child and she knights for Amazon warriors as her personal guards who secretly are like, I don't think that her having a baby is a good idea. Um, and so you see, because we're used to the whole storyline of everybody loved Diana. She was like the, the child of all the Amazons. They all took care of her. But this shows you another angle of there were some who were opposed to the idea. They said, you know, this is not good. We shouldn't be bringing a child here. You know, we've existed all these hundreds of years without one. Why does she insist that we, that she have a child, you know, a daughter? So, and that is in the, the third volume issues, 14 to 17 of Wonder Woman. I think you can actually get that in trade too. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, mine, I have two. 
I like the run by William Mesnalogues and with art by Mike Diodato, where Diana actually lost the right to become Wonder Woman and Artemis took over and we and everyone was hating it the whole nine yards. Then all of a sudden, Artemis wound up creating a following of her own. And when it came time to bring Diana back and they killed her off, or so we were led to believe, there were a lot of people who were upset about that. But the one story, the one Wonder Woman story that stands out for me will always be Wonder Woman number, I think it's either 219, when she snapped Maxwell Lord's neck. I was just about to go there, um, and I, I was trying not to because we're going to be talking about Wonder Woman 84 next week. But right. I agree with you because, and it's not so much a, a full Wonder Woman story as much as just a moment that we see in Wonder Woman that, like Margie was talking about, always try to resolve this peacefully if you can until right. that's no longer an option. And that is such a clear moment where we see that. Um, right. Because, you know. And, one of the, and throughout the program, we all have been talked about talking about how Wonder Woman has always She's all what she's always stood for and also the decisions that she made. But have you ever noticed Wonder Woman, whenever she's made a decision, she stands by it and she's not budging. Right. And that and that particular issue demonstrated that clearly. And because Maxwell on um, Maxwell Lord was like taunting her. I got the most powerful being at my disposal. You want him back, the only way you're going to get him is you're going to have to kill me. Right. Wonder Woman was like, okay, snap. Right. That is, um, and it's funny too, I remember, um, because Wonder Woman, you know, sold okay, but most people overlooked it, until word of mouth started circulating about, you know, she broke Maxwell Lord's neck, and then next day, 219 was off the shelf. <laughs> Nobody had yeah. it. Um, because I don't know if you guys read that, Margie or Olivia, that, that is such a great scene, because Maxwell Lord's gotten control of Superman. He He's basically not brainwash him, but he's making him see things that aren't there. And mm -hmm. he beats Batman to with like an inch of his life because he sees it as doomsday. Um, and then he flies back into space. Max Lord grabs him, brings him to the JLA satellite of all places. And he's fighting Wonder Woman being controlled by Maxwell Lord because again, he's seen doomsday again. And she takes a tiara, throws it and stuns him for just a moment. And that's the moment when she tells Maxwell Lord, you need to let him go, release him. And that classic lineup, no way, princess, I've got the most powerful weapon in the universe. I'm not giving this up. And you just know it's coming when he tells her, you'll have to kill me. Um, but oh, yeah. She puts the lasso around him, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yes, she does. Yeah. And I she thought does. that that was interesting, you know, because I was looking at the um, divination kind of tool. And it's kind of like, oh, you know, I have the okay from the gods. <laughs> right, right. I have to kill him. And she, that was the moral um, arbiting of that big decision and there was a major fallout from it that i thought was very interesting well there's that really great scene between her and batman where he says you stepped over the line princess we don't kill and she's like i am a warrior people die in wars and you're just like you tell them diana <laughs> yeah, right and uh, and one of the things that i loved about that at that final panel when you saw when when he told her that I love the way how Rags Morales, the artist on that book, did, you saw the, the, the look on Wonder Woman's face when he gave her that ultimatum, and she just stood there, and it's like, she's motionless, she's not, it, it, it's like you're wondering, okay, like you said, Randy, you knew what she was going to do, but she was just like stoic, and then all of a sudden, snap. The, the look on her face was... We're really going to do this, aren't we? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, uh, what it led into the 52. <coughs> right. Yeah. Well, remember yeah, that. It led into 52, where they all kind of. Well, remember, that has that really great um, scene later on in the Justice League where, they, where they're in the destroyed satellite and they're debating getting back together, and, and Batman is still pissed at her for killing Maxwell Lord and he's telling Superman, you have all this power and the last time you inspired anybody on the, on the planet, you were dead. And you're just like, woof. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, uh, anyway, that is all our time this week. Um, 
I, Margie, I want to thank you again for coming on this show. Um, fantastic. I, like I told Enos and everybody like last year, when we do this episode, I'm having Margie on as a guest because I know you love Wonder Woman and you have a really great insight into her. Um, Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, next week, we are going to actually be discussing the movie Wonder Woman 84. Um, so if you guys haven't seen that, go out and see it. I already have. I might see it again because I had some issues with it. Marge, you're free to welcome, you know, free to join us if you want to talk about it, too. Okay. Yeah, uh, that, that sounds like fun. Yeah. The, um, yeah. You know, I overall, I thought it was enjoyable. But I think criticisms are fair. Right. So. Well, join us next week. We'll talk about it. Um, yeah. Guys, remember the three magic words of the Internet. Like, share and subscribe. Remember, Lost in a Long Box on, on Facebook.com. And again... Trivia question, when did Wonder Woman's logo change from the eagle to the stack W's? I am looking for one of two answers. I'll take either one. You have until midnight of January 29th to lostinlongbox at gmail.com to send me your answer. The first person right wins, and you will get a signed poster of Margie from Identity Four. Uh, Identity Crisis number four, such a beautiful poster. I, I'm sorry, it's just <laughs> you, you don't, you guys don't understand. You haven't seen this poster. <laughs> uh, when you see it up close, you're going to be like, "Wow!" Um, remember, we also have our sister Facebook groups: Batman, Yesterday, Today, and Forever, the Realm of Superheroes, Comics, and Pop Culture, and Gather Together the Greatest Superhero Teams. Enos, can you make any more Facebook groups while you're at it? Because I don't have enough to try and spit out out there. Um, also, hey, remember. Uh, Mad Men does Shock Monkey Radio every Tuesday from 6 to 7 p.m. here on FXBG Public Radio and then Patreon.com slash FXBG Public Radio. Throw us some money. And again, please email us to lostinlongbox at gmail.com because I am lonely. Uh, thank you very much, everyone. We will talk to you next week. And Margie, send me a um, request to add you for all three groups. I'll be more than happy to. would love to have you on there and give us your input. We'd love it. Yes, sir. I will definitely do that. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank Not you. No problem. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night, everyone. Mm -hmm.